Good morning and welcome to Morning Joe. It is Tuesday, January 26th. Along with Joe, Willie and me, we have Washington anchor for BBC World News America, Caddy Kay joins us this morning, and we have a lot to get to. Let's dive right in. All 100 U.S. senators are expected to swear in today as jurors in the second impeachment of Donald Trump, the trial. The nine House Democrats serving as impeachment managers delivered the single article for inciting an insurrection to the Senate yesterday. The trial will begin in earnest on February 8th, so a little over a week from now, giving both sides time to prepare their cases and the Senate time to confirm President Biden, Biden's cabinet appointees. We also learned that Senate President Pro Temp, the longest serving member of the chamber of the majority side, Patrick Leahy, will preside over the trial. According to Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Leahy was next in line after Chief Justice John Roberts declined to preside over the trial of a non-sitting so, president. So, Willie, it's interesting. You get, uh, uh, by the way, I think Mika started without me. Did you start without me? I, I, I How rude. just, the show starts. And you have so to sit rude. down, sweetie. Yeah, but it's my, like, my place. Yes, what I know, but what you need doing? to get in your chair. You need to get in your chair okay. and start your show. Here's the deal. Uh, we never start at 6 o'clock, okay? So yeah, we are, actually do. It's is this getting into tonight. a hurry-up-and-a-wait thing? Like, Willie, because I had really? stuff I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah, that's, that's great. Because yesterday, and see, now here we are in the middle of the news story. This is really awkward. I'm going to have to talk about something else. For but Willie, Not Tom Brady. <clears throat> so, Willie, you and I were off yesterday. You, of course, you had the, the, the kids thing. <sighs> Lower East Side, the orphanage thing, and I got the best charity, I swear to God, in all of New York. Uh, and I was running that, that marathon thing that I run this oh, time of year, amazing. every year, up, yeah. in, up in the Dakotas. The image is incredible. <laughs> um, but Brady, man, I mean, let's talk about Tom Brady for a second. Just, He's just the best, because Tampa, Mika, you need to buy Mika a told, No, but Joey Scarborough said at the beginning of this, he said, said the Buccaneers are going to win the Super Bowl, and I laughed. Uh, uh, but man, let's. I'm sorry, Mika. We got to talk about it, Brady. We, we did yesterday. Yeah, but Willie wasn't here, so I don't think he had that kids thing. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just curious what Willie thought. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it, it's funny to think that a couple of years ago, even there was debate about whether or not Tom Brady was the best quarterback in the history of the NFL. Obviously, there's no question about that anymore. But to go to ten Super Bowls, to play in twice as many AFC Championship games as the greatest quarterbacks who've ever lived played in, like Joe Montana for example. He's on a completely yeah. different plane. And you're right. When they started the season, you go, okay, Tampa, they got a couple guys. He's got some receivers. Maybe he'll be able to do something. But to think they were going to be in the Super Bowl and to go through Green Bay at Lambeau Field, it's astonishing. I guess not that surprising because it's Tom Brady and he's always got a chance any game he plays in. But Brady is obviously the greatest quarterback of all time. And the only people in the yeah. conversation with him in sports now are, you know, Mike Michael Jordan and Muhammad Ali and Bill Russell and those kind of people who transcend sports and have won as much as he has. He is incredible. Yeah, you know, I had held out for a while and said it was either Brady or, uh, you know, Joe Montana or uh, Steve Barkowski. It's an Atlanta Falcons joke, folks. Uh, <laughs> Montana or Brady, uh, but. Uh, Again, Joey Scarborough, who knows all the Tom Brady facts, says that the guy's played in 18 NFL seasons and he's been to the conference championship game 14 yeah. of those 18 years. That's yeah. just, just absolutely unbelievable. Okay. Okay, I've been cleaning so, up my workspace. So let's here. get back to the news for one second. And didn't it, did, what, I mean, I understand Roberts is like, I can't do it. I got to, you know, I'm going to be out, like, taking a smoke, so I can't do your impeachment thing. Mm -hmm. But, but, Shouldn't they find like a judge in the D.C. circuit or something other than a Democrat, any Democrat who already voted to impeach Donald Trump a year ago? I mean, because I'd be saying the same thing. My God, what would we be saying if here we go? We get to do this now. What would we be saying if Ron Johnson or uh, or John Cornyn or Lindsey Graham or another Republican who had voted against impeachment? We're running things. This is nothing against Senator Leahy, but you can't have somebody guy. running 
you know, uh, running your impeachment trial that voted to impeach him a year ago or voted to acquit him a year ago, I don't think. Well, it certainly gives Republicans ammunition to say exactly what you just said, which is that the judge should not also serve on the jury of a trial. Um, John Roberts has said the Supreme Court chief justice says, I, I, you know, I just can't do this again. I don't have time. Um, but this is technically the way it should go out if the Supreme Court justice, the chief justice can't sit and uh, sit on this trial but it does give the appearance, certainly, that, you know, a person who's already convinced that this man is guilty, that this president should be impeached, it does give the impression that it's a partisan uh, operation. I, I suspect Senator Leahy will do everything in his power to avoid that. But Republicans yeah. will definitely seize on it. Let's talk about what the Democrats' strategy is going to be. The Washington Post reports House Democrats pouring over hundreds of hours of video to help build their case that Donald Trump incited the Capitol attack. Sources tell the paper that one idea under consideration is to produce a video that shows how rioters reacted to the president's January 6th remarks before the attack. And the Democrats are particularly interested in this video produced by the online forum Just Security. So, Caddy, you can hear in that video the crowd in the hours before the Capitol was attacked listening to President Trump's speech at the Ellipse and saying, we're going to take the Capitol, storm the Capitol. Obviously, they were inspired by the president. But it's not just what he said on January the 6th. It's in the two months leading up to January 6th. It's going to be wild. All the things he was inspiring, all the conspiracy theories he was pushing to suggest that he actually won the election. Yeah, and actually even, Willie, I've been hearing um, from people on the management team that it's going to be looking at the videos after, too. So the video that the president put out where he still called them great patriots and said he loved them, that one from the White House, where he didn't denounce them, uh, asked them to go home, but it was not a repudiation of what they did. And that's going to be included as well. And the Democrats do want to broaden it out more to the president's role in trying to steal the election more generally. That video from Just Security is interesting because you've heard people who were in the crowd kind of defend them say, themselves saying, well, we couldn't actually hear what the president was saying. The sound quality was terrible. And, and we didn't know that he was telling us to go down to the Capitol and fight for the country because we just didn't hear it. I think what's interesting about that video is you very clearly hear the president say certain phrases that then get picked up directly by the crowd and almost kind of relayed to the back of the crowd. And that's why that video is going to be so important because it's the president's words that then get echoed exactly by the crowd before they go and storm the Capitol. Yeah, it's it's not, uh, Willie, the life of Brian where the Jesus character in the Mighty Python movie says, blessed are the meek, and then the crowd goes, blessed are the Greeks. They already <laughs> own everything. In this case, the president says it from the stage. It's repeated in the back. It's sent to the back. And, and it's sent to the back, and, and they're going, yes, yes, oh, yeah. storm the Capitol. Yes, let's take over the Capitol. I mean, Mika, well, that's what in the law. Uh, we would say that's what we would say is good evidence. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, pretty. This is pretty, why you're here, Joe. Pretty, yeah, it is. It okay. is. Unlike Josh Hawley, mm -hmm. uh, I was listening uh, during my three well, years we'll in law Josh. school, and don't think that if somebody comes up to me and says I don't like your show, that that's a violation of my First Amendment. Yeah, rights. we'll get to Josh Hawley in just a moment. Josh, he is crying now because people don't. I think need what that Corvette. You're not giving me the Corvette. That's that's a violation. My first. I don't get a multi-million dollar 
Oh, contract. Uh, I have to go to another place to get a multi-million dollar contract. We were going to do contract. that later. We need to do okay. that later. But Willie, <laughs> Willie, who else is stupid enough? And I have said this guy has to be the dumbest guy. Oh. I mean, other than Ron Johnson, he doesn't really count. This has to be the dumbest guy in the United States Senate because he is arguing that he lives in a communist country where his First Amendment rights are violated as he is writing a front-page op-ed on the New York Post. He's, and it gets published. He, he's getting paid how much? Millions of dollars to write a book? And he's claiming that his First Amendment rights are violated because it's from a concern, it's Regnery instead of uh, Simon I and Schuster. I thought businesses had the right to choose who oh they my would do God. business with. I mean, can, can you, I mean, again, we're getting to the story. I know I killed Hamlet, not even yes. the first act before the curtain even went up. Yep. But what a whiner. And, and all of these, all of these right-wing seditionists who are suddenly saying private companies are making decisions about the content they want in their, you know, suddenly. I thought that was. Like they're, they're, but this guy's been bitching about this for a long time, Willie. Like, he was bitching about social media claiming that there are First Amendment violations based on, um, uh, on content that they choose to run or not run. I mean, mm -hmm. listen, my deal is I just want to sue him. I just want I just want to be able to sue them in the free market. If okay, free marketplace of ideas, that's fine. Okay, let me sue Twitter. Let me sue Facebook. Let Americans sue Twitter. Let Americans sue this guy. He wants to control their content. He wants to control what private companies in the marketplace can and cannot publish. He's either stupid as hell or out of his mind. Well, he's not stupid as hell, and that's the problem. He's cynical as hell, and he thinks he's playing into some narrative. And we've heard it, by the way, now from other candidates who say they're going to run for office, who this is a theme that the right is being censored. This is a theme that the left, the radical left, is quieting the conservative right and trying to keep their voices mm -hmm. out of the public dialogue. Josh Hawley is a sitting United States senator. He wrote a front-page op-ed in the New York Post, one of the most <laughs> widely circulated papers on earth talking about how he is being muzzled he knows better he knows exactly what he's doing some of the other people you mentioned may not know better they may in fact not be smart but this man is smart and it's just a cynical play for his own political future but he's not letting his foot off the gas either mika he's going to keep going with this obviously despite the fact that he knows he was one of the central characters in pushing this incitement and pushing this riot and this attack on the capitol I mean, he's a seditionist. He led an insurrection. He's responsible for cops being murdered. He's responsible for everything that we saw. He was at the forefront of it. And, and of course, he's shameless. He's still, he's still shameless about all of that. He hasn't apologized to America. Uh, but he needs to apologize even, you know, the people that raised him, people that taught him, people that, I mean, they're ashamed of him. They're, you, you read one person after another that, that, that taught this guy in school, that taught him in law school, that were, were mentors to him. Uh, really, they're, they're ashamed to know a guy who used what they say are talents. I haven't seen them yet, but I guess he had talents. I mean, he's one of those little, yeah, I mean, but, but he goes to Stanford and Yale and he uses it for evil. He uses it to kill capital cops. He uses it to run, to start seditions against the United States of America. He uses it to, to do like this guy that he's got the bone structure, by the way, he's such a thin little guy. He's got the bone structure of a bird and, and <laughs> okay. he's holding up those little bird hands. Like, look at that. Look at him. Come on, fellas. Let's do it. <laughs> Wee! All right. Uh, no, but he's got the bone strike. But still, he's doing this, this sedition power salute to a mob that goes in and kills cops. And he, he doesn't back off at all. His approval rating in Missouri is down in the 30s, and he doesn't back off at all. You would think that even for a guy that's this cynical, He'd back off a little bit. But I will say this. I've met a lot of people that have gone to Ivy League schools that are just stupid. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not being anti-intellectual. I've met a lot of people that have gone to Ivy code. League schools that are smart. This guy's just being stupid as Bounce. hell. And he's a seditionist. He should 
he should be kicked out of the United States Senate. But and then you know what? He could write another book, make millions and millions of more dollars, write op-eds, have millions of people read his op-eds, and claim that his First Amendment rights are being trounced. Okay. Okay. The circle of life. Thank you for Josh Hawley. So a number of state Republican um, parties continue to seek retribution against those who did not support former President Donald Trump. The Oregon Republican Party published a resolution falsely claiming there is growing evidence that the January 6th attack on the Capitol by a pro-Trump mob mob was a false flag operation and suggested it was an orchestrated conspiracy designed to discredit President Trump, his supporters, and all conservative Republicans. This is such a stretch. Well, it's a lie. It's unbelievable. The resolution also condemns the betrayal by the 10 House Republicans who voted to impeach President Trump. In Hawaii, an official with the state's Republican Party resigned this past weekend, taking responsibility for highly criticized tweets defending supporters of the QAnon conspiracy theory. Edwin Boyette, the vice chair of communications, exited after the official Hawaii GOP Twitter account shared a since-deleted thread that read in part, we should make it abundantly clear the people who subscribe to the Q fiction were largely motivated by a sincere and deep love for America. Patriotism and love of country should never be ridiculed. Meanwhile, the Arizona Republican Party approved resolutions this weekend censuring Governor Doug Ducey for certifying Trump's loss in the state and former Senator Jeff Flake and Cindy McCain, the widow of the late Arizona Senator John McCain, for opposing Trump. And the Republican Party in Texas drew criticism over the weekend for using its slogan, We Are the Storm, on publicity materials and its Twitter account, which critics say links the party to QAnon. According to the Houston Chronicle, the storm is a phrase widely visible within the QAnon movement. The words are virtually identical to phrases used by followers on the radical QAnon conspiracy theory, which is listed as a domestic terrorist threat by the FBI. The Texas group has denied any connection to QAnon and says the slogan comes from a favorite poem of party chairman Alan West. Which is called Ode to QAnon. Let's bring in professor of global politics at University (laughs) College, Brian Claus. He is uh, also columnist for The Washington Post and host of The Power Corrupts podcast. Brian, in your latest piece uh, in The Washington Post, uh, it's entitled, Why is it so hard to deprogram Trumpian conspiracy theorists? In it, you write in part this. Today, with the rise of social media, one can be alone but feel part of a group. And some of those groups are glued together by unhinged beliefs. Many of the fanatics who stormed the Capitol were neither poor nor social misfits, but rather had found a digital community to augment or replace their offline one. Mm. We can no longer pretend that conspiracy theorists are beneath our attention. They've shown they have tremendous capacity to inflict damage on society. Bringing the deluded people who populate Trump's political base back to reality will be difficult. But to find the right anecdote, we need to at least accurately diagnose who has a poison. And that means acknowledging that those who sympathize with the capital insurrectionists are not far off lunatics. Some, most likely, are your neighbors. And given the staying power of conspiratorial thinking, they aren't likely to change their minds anytime soon. Wow. I mean, you know, okay. uh, this is this is a great, a great piece. It, and it should really be read in tandem with Ann Applebaum's. And I, I, I completely agree with Ann. And it's always been, you know, uh, always been my experience that if you can't move people to your side over something, uh, you know, in the past, it would have been, let's say, uh, the Clinton impeachment or, you know, uh, or the 2000 recount or the Iraq war, you know, just wait long enough and find other areas to find compromise, to find common ground and, and work together. Uh, in this case, though, um, you are right. You're talking about a set of deeply held conspiracy theories uh, that these state parties, these state Republican parties are clinging to. I mean, you would think Arizona Republicans would have learned from Georgia Republicans whose civil war 
made Chuck Schumer the Senate Majority Leader. They haven't. It doesn't. And Texas, my God, one of the most important states in the union politically, they've turned their party over to wing nuts, to crackpots, to conspiracy theorists. Yeah, I mean, I think the the big point here is that it's very, very difficult to deprogram conspiracy theory believers for a variety of cognitive reasons and because it's also extremely social and some people are finding fun in it. But that doesn't let elected officials or state parties off the hook, right? We need a coalition of reality, a coalition of truth in our politics, because obviously there are people who are getting diluted messages and those conspiracy theories stick. And they stick more than other forms of disinformation for a couple reasons. One is that conspiracy theories are most attractive to people who have a Manichaean worldview, which means they see the world through the prism of right and wrong. And so QAnon is all all about Trump, the good superhero, vanquishing this evil, shadowy cabal. There's also the issue of the, the fact that the people who debunk conspiracy theories are, by their very definition, those who the conspiracy theorists think are the deep state. So if I write in the Washington Post that this is false, they view that as proof that there's a cover-up. And then the third reason, of course, is that the conspiracy theorists are also people who adapt their beliefs as new facts come into view. So when Biden was inaugurated, which wasn't supposed to happen under QAnon belief, some people started saying, oh, he's secretly in on the plan. It's unfalsifiable. It's like the doomsday cults that say, you know, the world's going to end on October 4th and they wake up on October 5th and say, oh, actually, we just miscalculated. It's going to happen in three years. And that's that's why we need to have a coalition of reality in our politics. And Republican leaders need to be held accountable for not inhabiting that real space that we all should live in. I mean, I, they, 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 they've been so wrong so often and they just keep moving the goal line. Willie, it's interesting, in 94, when I first campaigned, I would go through neighborhoods uh, suburban neighborhoods. I like grew up in, you know, middle class suburban type neighborhoods, and I realized like about a week or two in that I wasn't going to be able to organize by neighborhoods. You know, you get your map and you look at all, or you can't do that because, you know, people were already, uh, in words of a famous book that Brian uh, talked about, bowling alone, that even back in 94, it was starting to sort of spread apart. Even back in 94, people were sending around these crazy emails uh, that we've talked about before on the show, that they were already sort of getting into their conspiratorial groups. Uh, and man, it has just accelerated. But again, we need to remind everybody that was over a quarter of a century ago. And uh, this is not new. It's just accelerated because of Facebook and Twitter. It has. And one of the lessons we've learned over the last couple of months of really studying this and, and digging into it is it's not just crazy people sending emails, which is sort of the caricature of it. It's because of Facebook. It's gotten out into wine moms and yoga groups and some maybe there's something that started as innocuous online that turns into something completely different, Brian. And that's part of the challenge, as you write, of, of deprogramming, as, as you put it, is that you can't use that caricature. And I think that was one of the things they wanted to use about the mob that attacked the right. Oh, look at all these crazy people with their hats and all that stuff. No, there were CEOs in there and there were realtors in there and there was an Olympic gold medalist in there. This is not just some fringy thing anymore. There are a lot of people living in your neighborhood who probably subscribe to a lot of the beliefs that you think are nuts. Yeah, and I think this is so important to solving the problem, because if we misdiagnose it as the place of tinfoil hat basement dwellers, then we don't reach out to the people who are actually in our communities and try to bring them back to reality. Now, some people are going to be beyond repair, right? There are people who are simply not going to be salvageable. But if we're going to have a politics that's based in reality, we need to understand that there are yoga groups that are devoted to QAnon, right? There, it's not its not the stereotypes that we're always thinking of. And as, as Joe was saying with the bowling alone example, you know, it was this atomization of society where individuals are all alone, they're bowling instead of in leagues on their own. Now they're tweeting together, right? They're, they're in these communities that are not real world interactions, but they feel like these sort of cardboard imitations of real world world interactions. And that makes it harder to intervene into their groups because they feel like they have a community. It's not like they're just isolated in their parents' basement and they just need someone to talk to them. It's that they are talking, but they're talking online to people who are also radicalized. So once we acknowledge those realities, then we can start to fix the problem. But we do need to acknowledge that some people are not going to be fixed and some people will not be um, brought out of the rabbit hole that they've gone down for the last four years. 
So, Caddy, I've talked a good bit about evangelicals being more susceptible to this uh, than others, which is uh, obviously disturbing to me because that's my tribe. I mean, I grew up in Southern Baptist churches, and uh, but it's really interesting. And, and uh, Tim Carney's talked about this and others that have talked about it. You look at more regular church attenders, and they aren't as extreme in their views, but you look at people who self-identify as evangelicals, who may have gone to churches in the past, and they have a higher pro- propensity for, for uh, these conspiracy theories. And I really do think, in part, the reason why is because if you are social, you know, we'd go, we'd go to church, you know, we'd go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday, and you'd be around people. And you throw up a crazy conspiracy theory around people like the second or third time you do it, people come up to you and go, buddy, come on. Come on. That's crazy. Come on. Let, let's come on. Let's talk about that for a second. Because you have the socialization. You're not bowling alone. You're not Facebooking alone. You're not Twittering alone. You're not tweeting alone. I mean, so much of this has to do with the fact it is the atomization of society that are keeping these people alone. And even people who we know, even people who have respected jobs in the communities, some have fallen completely for the most bizarre conspiracy theories that suggest Oprah and Tom Hanks are cannibals. I just said that on TV. Cannibals Ugh. and pedophiles. <laughs> like, there are people yeah. among us who yeah. believe this. Yeah, and every time we say it, it sounds crazy, right? That there is some satanic, cannibal, pedophile cult out there that the believers of QAnon really think exists. And conspiracy theories in themselves are not new. They've been around for centuries. And one professor I interviewed on this said, look, all of us have some tendency to believe in conspiracy theories. Everybody has some propensity to it. It's just that the people who've gone for QAnon have gone more extreme. And Brian, I thought what was so interesting about what you wrote in your article is this sense of belonging. And you're there in the UK, and I wonder if it reminds you of what we were hearing about people who left to join jihad in Syria. We had, you know, those, I remember there was those young mm-hmm. girls who left East London and they went out to Syria and they joined jihad. And they said it was this sense of belonging. And it's exactly what you talk about, that it gives people who might be a bit lonely, who might have a bit of a, be a bit of a misfit. And it's what Joe was talking about there too with evangelicals. You're in a community of other people who believe the same and you are right and everybody else is wrong. And other people might have looked at you and thought you were a bit stupid or a bit of a misfit or a bit of an outsider, an outcast, and now you've found your group. And is there a similarity here? And if, if it is a bit like that, is the similarity white supremacy in the way that kind of Islam was the driving force behind driving people to jihad? Yeah, I think when we when we diagnose this problem, we have to split people into two groups, right? There's the QAnon believers who are also members of like right wing white supremacy militia groups. And that's a fundamentally different group from, you know, the yoga, the yoga group that is a QAnon disciples. And so I think that the, the social isolation is definitely part of it. There are people who are social misfits who are drawn to this because the online community is their only community. But there are also people who are, you know, they, they appear to be well-adjusted. Uh, I interviewed one QAnon disciple who is a, a person with, you know, three kids in suburban Atlanta, um, just started reading online and, you know, got it and fell down the rabbit hole. And so I think the reason I wrote this piece is because the more that we only think of these people as radical extremists, the less likely we are going to be succeed in succeeding to stopping this poison from entering the political bloodstream in the future. Because we have to understand that it is not just the kooks, the crazies, the tinfoil, the white supremacists and the militia members. You know, that's a group that maybe you don't reach out to because they are beyond reprehensible and have, you know, absolutely no chance of being brought back in some in some instances to reality. So I think if we diagnose who are the different 
people in this group and what they're, how they got there, that's going to help us create a more nuanced approach to bringing them back to reality. And the political leaders have a huge responsibility in doing this. Republicans need to stop peddling conspiracy theories. I think we just need to say it as plainly as that, because they're being listened to and they are metastasizing uh, this, this you know, absolute disaster uh, in American politics that's going to create more deadly consequences. January 6th will not likely be the last time we see this causing violence in U.S. politics, in my, in my estimation. Well, you know, Brian, I was going to follow up with the final question. I, why would reasonable, rational people in middle America uh, that, you know, suburban Atlanta, wherever, why would they fall prey to this? They fall prey to it because they have people like Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz and Donald Trump lying to them re repeatedly and they numb them to the truth. And, and I think that they're, you know, they're bored. And they're, they're finding something that they find fun, right? I mean, we have to sort of be honest about this. Some people are drawn to this because they view politics as entertainment. Donald Trump was the entertainer-in-chief and the conspiracy theorist-in-chief, mm. and they found a diversion, you know? And I think that as soon as we speak plainly about this again, we'll diagnose this better and we'll be able to solve it better. And, and Joe, obviously the ultimate conspiracy theory is that Donald Trump won the election. It's one that Donald Trump's been pushing. And now before it, coming up in less than two weeks, the Senate will have a chance to vote and to say whether or not they believe that conspiracy theory is true. They could silence a lot of this. They could suppress a lot of exactly what Brian's talking and writing about with this vote. It'll be up to them. We'll see if they do it. We know that Donald Trump has quietly been saying he's been sending people out to pressure some of these senators to stand by his side. We've right. seen what some of the state parties are saying publicly supporting QAnon. So it's perhaps unlikely that he's convicted, but they do have one chance to say what they believe about this conspiracy theory that but, he won the election. Yeah. But get this, state parties are, are punishing the 10 Republicans yep. who did not vote to overturn the election results. State Republican parties and, 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 and local Republican parties are trying to censure people who did their jobs. Who, like the, the, the guy in Michigan who just did what he was supposed to do, and it's a ministerial act, okay, he's out of his job. They're, they're, Steve Ducey in Arizona, Brian Kemp in, in Georgia, they are enemies of Donald Trump's Republican Party because they didn't fall victim to these conspiracy theories. Like, 64 federal courts said this was all a lie? That there was nothing there. And yet people are still like falling prey to this because the Republican Party in Arizona, the Republican Party in Georgia, the Republican Party in Texas, the Republican Party in Wyoming. These are people they are trying to punish people for not engaging in sedition. That's where the Republican Party is. And again, where are the adults in the Republican Party <clears throat> that are going to stand up and start punishing this type of behavior? Because all they're doing is helping Democrats. All they're doing, they're, they're, they're creating. In Arizona, like I said, if you like the Republican Civil War in Georgia, you're going to love the Republican Civil War in Arizona because the same, if you're a Democrat, because the same thing that happened in Georgia is now happening in Arizona. The Republican Party is eating its own. And that turns out very badly for the Republican yeah. Party. They're going after Liz Cheney. I mean, that is, wait, let me just say, that's a mistake. Yeah, I mean, you know, you just talk, talk to Osama bin Laden, right? I mean, don't go, don't, don't screw with the Cheneys. No. Just don't do it. I, I it's just, I, just don't do it. But the thing about Kevin or Steve or whatever his name is, uh, the, the majority leader. Wait, did Trump call him Steve? Steve. Yeah, yeah. good did. friend Steve. He forgot his Steve name. Steve McCarthy, leader of the Republican Party he in the House. Him. Steve's not going to be able to get money from he's corporations. Yeah. He's just not. Like Liz Cheney is like the only respectable member in leadership right now who didn't, let's be very clear about this, who didn't vote to disenfranchise millions and millions of black voters in Milwaukee County, in Wayne County, in Atlanta, Georgia, in Philadelphia, 
all the, all the other Republican leadership in the House voted to disenfranchise millions and millions of black voters. What pack? What corporation is going to give a dime to Republicans who voted to take away the votes of millions and millions of black voters? Bull Connor never, ever did anything that was as nefarious, like taking away the voting rights of millions and millions of black voters. Kevin McCarthy voted to take away the voting rights of millions and millions of black Americans. Steve Scalise voted to take away the voting rights of millions and millions of black Americans. Liz Cheney didn't, and they're trying to get rid of Liz Cheney. Lots of luck, fellas. All right, Brian Gloss, thank you very much for being on this morning. His new column is online for The Washington Post. And still ahead on Morning Joe, the Trump era takes down another moderate Republican. Senator Rob Portman announces he will retire at the end of his current term, saying it's, quote, a tough time well, to be in public service. And by service. the way, not really moderate. He's a conservative. He's a The other ones guy. are radicals. Plus the latest on vaccine deployment in New York City and neighboring New Jersey with Mayor Bill de Blasio and Governor Phil Murphy. You're watching Morning Joe. We will be right back. The UN Refugee Agency, or UNHCR, responds to emergencies and provides long-term solutions for refugees. They provide aid in over 130 countries, including Ukraine, Syria, Afghanistan, and Sudan, where people are forced to flee from war and persecution at their greatest moment of need. UNHCR helps and protects refugees by providing food, shelter, medical care, and other life-saving essentials. The agency jumpstarts relief in three key ways. They transport core relief items stored in even the most remote areas of the world. They deploy expert emergency staff trained to help in crisis situations. And they transfer funds directly to support the emergency. Because of generous supporters and donors, UNHCR can scale up its response within 72 hours of a large-scale emergency. Your support helps provide life-saving aid for refugees whenever and wherever emergencies occur. Donate to USA for UNHCR by visiting unrefugees.org slash donation. Republican Senator Rob Portman of Ohio won't, won't be seeking re-election in 2022. In announcement yesterday, Portman said the country has become increasingly polarized over the past few decades, making it difficult to find common ground. Honestly, it's gotten harder and harder to break through the partisan gridlock and make progress on substantive policy issues. And that has contributed to my decision. Portman joins fellow Republican Senators Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania and Richard Burr of North Carolina in retiring from the Senate in 2022. And I know I, what you're saying, Joe. I don't understand. I don't get it either. I don't understand. If it's like, harder, that's why we need you. Stay in if it's Stay harder. in the game. And, and by the way, Willie, we're seeing right now play out. We need out, these people. Even though people on the far left and the far right are screaming and yelling and howling, right? the Senate is working like the Senate's supposed to work. One side is, is, is taking a position, another side's taking position, they're hammering it out, they're getting input from, and, and they're, they're reaching some sort of agreement. So with Kristen Cinema, we've said it a million times, Mark Kelly with uh, Hickenlooper, uh, with um, Mitt Romney, with Susan Collins, with Lisa Murkowski, with Joe Manchin, I mean, I could go on and on, on and on and on. Uh, you, you've got all of these people there that are actually about 10 of them that could actually get good things done that most Americans want. So why leave now? Yeah, I mean, this is a larger issue that we can talk about, obviously, this morning, which is that you've got a guy in Rob Portman who is 
you know, an establishment Solid. Republican, a small government conservative, a guy who was director of the OMB, who worked under George W. Bush, who was a congressman and now a senator, and a guy who was conservative. And I'm sure there are a lot of Democrats and progressives who don't like the way he votes all the time. But he was a he is a rational guy who wants to get things done. And he's not a Trumpist and he's not a loyalist and he's not a, a cultist, even though he voted with the president a lot. That seems to me, if you're a Republican and wants to get something done and not just, you know, own the libs is the kind of person you would want sitting in the Senate. Let's turn to Pulitzer Prize winning columnist and associate editor of The Washington Post and MSNBC political analyst Eugene Robinson and NBC News Capitol Hill correspondent host of Way Too Early. Our buddy Casey Hunt. Good morning to you both. So, Casey, um, let's dig into Rob Portman a little bit about not just his decision, but what it says about the body where he serves. Yeah, honestly, I, you know, I, th I think it's a sad day for the Senate. Um, this is a serious person. I mean, no matter what party you come from, he has focused and worked with Democrats on important issues that maybe don't, you know, that we don't talk about here very often that don't rise to the top. He's done important work on sex trafficking. Uh, Joe's right. He's not a moderate in terms of ideology necessarily, but he is a moderate in temperament uh, and approach. And fewer and fewer people like him are willing to stick around and stay in Washington to get some of this tough work done. And obviously, I think good minds can disagree about what these people should be doing. Should they be staying? Should they be hanging in there to try to change things? But the reality is that the Trump base and a lot of those people that you were talking about a minute ago with with Brian Class, uh, who believe mm -hmm. conspiracy theories and who uh, you know, frankly, seem disconnected from reality. Those people are voting in Republican primaries. And, you know, Jeff Flake said it when he left. He said, I couldn't stay true to myself and run a campaign that would actually win, a Republican primary campaign that would actually win. Now, Portman is in a different position, likely a stronger position, likely would have been fine if he had decided to run for reelection. But I think it reflects the level of misery and also a level of uh, a sense that there isn't going to be a coming back for the Republican Party for quite some time and that what it has descended into with Donald Trump is going to be where it stays. And frankly, there are people, good people who just don't want to be part of that. Yeah. yeah. So, so, Joe, what do you think of the, the filibuster, Republican filibuster? Well, I, I they're, they're having the debate back and forth and. You know, the filibuster it did not come down from heaven. Uh, founding fathers didn't put it in the original documents. Uh, and so we've seen both sides uh, get rid of the filibuster first. It was the Democrats that got rid of the filibuster for uh, federal judges. Then it was the Republicans that got rid of the filibuster for the Supreme Court. And uh, now there's a, a lot of talk, Gene Robinson, about getting rid of the filibuster overall. I, listen, I understand Democrats wanting to get rid of the filibuster overall. They just need to understand, and I've spent my entire adult life having to explain to people in the White House and on Capitol Hill, nothing is permanent in Washington, D.C. The rule you set now will be used against you two years from now. So, yes, the Democrats can get rid of the filibuster. They need to understand when the Republicans take back uh, the, the place back over, if they do, then they're going to pass... Uh, the 20-week ban on abortions. And they're not going to need to get 60 votes. They're just going to need to get a simple majority. And the Senate becomes the House. Again, I'm neither preaching for or against it. You know what? It's your Senate chamber. You do what you want for the mm -hmm. next two years. But understand, uh, what you do now will be used against you later. And if you're fine with that, go for it. Former President Donald Trump is facing 91 indictment charges, yet he remains the Republican frontrunner. On MSNBC's podcast, Prosecuting Donald Trump, veteran prosecutors Andrew Weissman and Mary McCord break down the biggest legal developments and how they could alter the election. Never had a president who engaged in this kind of conduct who's running for office. He is using the criminal cases for his own campaigning. Search for Prosecuting Donald Trump wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, Joe, it's, you know, the filibuster, as you said, is not written in the, in the Constitution. Uh, it's uh, and I, I think Democrats should um, I, I think they should keep their powder dry, but they should not take the option of getting rid of the filibuster off the table, as 
as yeah. Chuck Schumer didn't take it off the table, and, and Mitch McConnell recognized that it wasn't going to get taken off the table, and so now we'll proceed. Look, if, if the Senate is going to act like the Senate uh, and be the, you know, the cooling off place, but not the place where everything goes to die, not the place where nothing happens and there's no constructive engagement to, to, to get anything done at a time uh, when the nation faces a lot of problems, a lot of overlapping problems, and, and needs its national legislature uh, to, to, to be active, to, to do things, um, then, um, you know, if, if the Senate's going to function, then great. Let it function with the filibuster, but it's got to function, and it can't be, um, uh, you know, just a black hole uh, where any legislation, no matter how moderate, no matter how they, if the, if the Democrats want it, then we don't want it, and so it can't happen. And that, you know, it, if the Senate becomes effectively just a sort of smaller and less efficient version of the House, where everybody votes along party lines, and um, uh, and and the filibuster is is this sort of dead end for any sort of major legislation, then the filibuster has outlived its uh, its usefulness. Uh, you don't you, you don't need it, and you should get rid of it. If it can be the Senate that we all remember, the Senate the way it used to function, you know. When it was good or when it was better, uh, then keep it. And um, but it, yeah. you know they, they do have to recognize though that there's a new new majority leader, and uh, and it's not Mitch McConnell. It's it's Chuck Schumer. Um, it's uh, it's also a Senate that split down the middle, a House that split down the middle, uh, a more moderate Democrat. Uh, there is a chance to get things done. Uh, but but I, I agree, uh, Willie, with Jane that. Uh, keep the filibuster, but but use it as as leverage uh, with a possibility of getting rid of it if you have to get rid of it to pass legislation. I'm, I'm growing a little impatient, though. What are we four, five, six days in with all of these uh, superheated headlines and people on from the right going, I thought Joe Biden was for unity and people from the left going, Kristen Cinema, she might as well be a Republican. I mean, are you are you kidding me? Like this is. This is how real legislation works. This is how politics is supposed to work when you don't have a personality cult. You have a back and forth. You give, have a give and take. Like you and I can be Red Sox and Yankees fans and we can be for unity. Unity as defined by the Red Sox and the Yankees don't beat, beat, don't, you know, beat each other up every time they play each other. And for God's sake, you don't push Zimmer down on the ground. Oh, Pedro. They said he is. Yeah. Well, Pedro, what Jeez. are you thinking? But anyway, so we can say we called for unity, but once the game starts, the Yankees are going to try to score runs, and the Red Sox are going to try to score runs. And my God, I just want some of these people to grow up. Mitch, Mc I, I see what happened between Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer is a very positive sign. They were, you know, banging heads behind closed doors. They came to a resolution. Let's move forward. But that's going to happen every couple days. And just because they're doing their jobs for their constituents, their people, doesn't mean there's not unity in Washington, D.C., or doesn't mean at least we aren't moving to a higher level than we've been over the past four years. Yeah, let's hope so. I think a lot of people, particularly the Democratic Party, are out for blood after the Trump years. They want some payback sure. on this. And Majority Leader Schumer held the line. He won the argument. As his office put it yesterday, they were glad to see Mitch McConnell throw in the towel after some debate on this. So, Casey, what was Mitch McConnell after in all this? Was it symbolic in some way? What was the the point as a practical question of having this back and forth where ultimately the majority leader did prevail? Well, Willie, it, it's, it's a power play, right? With Mitch McConnell, it's always about power. And the legislative filibuster is, for the minority, the central source of power in the Senate. And it's, there's a lot of power there. It also is about getting some leverage over Schumer. If he could have had Schumer pledge publicly not to do it, it likely would have infuriated some people on the left. And there's one person in particular, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who's thinking about primarying Chuck Schumer. Uh, that's Chuck mm -hmm. Schumer's big problem with the left of the party. So he couldn't say yes to this. And 
you know, the reporting has been that he was apparently angry when Joe Manchin went out and publicly said, I'm not going to support the filibuster. But Joe Manchin and, and Kristen Cinema are giving him cover right. uh, to say, well, I didn't do it. I didn't say that I would get rid of this. Uh, these people did. And he doesn't have the votes right now to get rid of it. But look, this isn't a static thing, right? If Republicans and McConnell don't act in reasonably good faith, the way they seem to be claiming, uh, at least in some ways, that they actually want to work with Joe Biden, they want to do big things. If they do obstruct just for obstruction's sake, because they want to be the ones to win elections, uh, then I think this may shift inside the Democratic caucus. And, I, and then I think all bets are off. Yeah, no, Casey, I, it's funny. I I mean, I, I'm sure it's not funny to Kristen Cinema, but, you know, I'm looking on Twitter and I'm hearing some of these comments from people attacking Kristen Cinema. Well, she can just leave the party. And I'm sitting there thinking, what? What are you, a Republican in Georgia? Like, Kristen, you have two Democratic senators in John McCain and Barry Goldwater's state. And you you want them to leave? What? Do you think you're going to get Che Guevara elected out there? It's like, seriously, <laughs> when are people no. going to grow up? And Joe Manchin, he's voting like he's he's a Democrat. Last he Democrat made, from West Virginia. He he made Democrats the majority party. He is in a state that Donald Trump won 68% to 29%. And these idiots on Twitter, who, yes, they are still in their mother's basement, on the left and oh the right, my. eating Cheetos. The Cheeto dust getting in their eyes. They can't see like how, how lucky they are to have Mark Kelly and Kristen Sinema uh, in, in Arizona, Joe Manchin in West Virginia. Again, it's just like the idiot Republicans in Georgia that are starting civil wars. Wait, they just put you in the majority and you want them to leave the party? You're attacking them? It is insanity a weekend. Caddy, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Um, let, let You said Mika? Yeah. Well, you sure? Yeah, Alex I, did. Alex. Oh, is that mm -hmm. Alex? But I love Caddy. Well, well, let's Caddy. get let's get cat. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Alex. <laughs> okay. okay, we will. Casey and then Caddy. Go. <laughs> he said you can do whatever you want. Oh, we're back said, to okay. it. <laughs> no, you're right, Joe. I mean, look, it's it, it's if you want to win, if you want to hang on to the majority, you got to let these senators reflect the people that sent them there. And yeah, if Kristen Cinema and Mark Kelly start taking more progressive positions, they're going to lose their elections. And, you know, Mitch McConnell yeah. knows that. Yeah, uh, I mean, he certainly has governed that way this entire time. And we saw this play out in the Can House you? too, right, with Abigail Spanberger after the election. It was exactly the same thing. She came back and she said, you can criticize us moderates in the Democratic Party for not being progressive enough. But if we take the positions that AOC has taken, we're not going to get elected in red districts in Virginia. And then guess what? You don't have a majority anymore in the House of Representatives for the Democrats. So you're seeing it play out on the Democratic Party in the Senate and in the House. And, and in the end, it's the way that they will lose majorities. Yeah, elections have consequences. They sure do. Joe Biden's the president, so he's signing some executive orders. And the Democrats get absolutely drubbed in the House elections and underperformed in the Senate. So, I mean, I'm just talking math. If the Democrats had a big year in 2020, if they had not done so poorly in legislative races, then, yeah, they would be able to move further to the left. As it is, they're going to have to make deals with moderate Democrats. Okay. It's math. We're going to take a break. Um, and coming up, we're going to be talking to Mayor Bill de Blasio of New York City about the vaccine shortages as he tries to get the people of New York City protected from the coronavirus. We'll be right back. 